the opportunity to serve you, to, to worship you, to study your word tonight. We pray, Lord God, in our study that you will guide us into all truth. Open our minds, Lord God, to understand your truth. Grant to us a deeper understanding of your word that we may grow spiritually and help us, Lord God, to honor you in all that we say and do. Thank you so very much for your great son who died that we might live. It's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray and thank thee to be thy will. Amen. Can you hear me now? Okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry about that. Do I need to start over? Could they hear me online? Was this microphone on? They did not? Sorry. Sorry. We. Okay, we're on now. Sorry about that. We had a, a mic. That was me. It was my microphone. Uh was not turned on. Uh, I apologize. That just tells me I have a big mouth. I thought everyone could hear me. <laughs> it's not. It's not true. Okay, um, last week we talked about the, the fact that all that Jesus went through, he did not uh, become bitter. or you know, He didn't live a life filled with anger and, and bitterness and even resentment, right? He, was, he just kept going for uh, God. And tonight we're going to grab one more point to add to that. But first, let's take a look at Mark 6 and verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brothers of, of James brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us and they took offense at him and so uh, Jesus was a carpenter and he had siblings and I'm going to get to the siblings here uh, a little bit later in our study uh, tonight let's look at his baptism Matthew chapter 3 uh, this is an interesting question that comes up and is why was Jesus baptized right um, and, so, and so let's just look at that really quickly verse 13. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus says in verse 15, he tells us why he's being baptized as John tried to restrain him. And he says it is to fulfill all righteousness, right? Matthew 3 and verse 15. So, just to keep it really simple, right? Very simple. Now, the question is, what is righteousness? That's a good question, right? In fact, let's look at what God said about righteousness uh, in Matthew 5 and verse 17 regarding the law. He said, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. So here, Jesus came to fulfill the law, and part of that fulfillment is his baptism. It was to uh, fulfill all righteousness. So what is righteousness? Look at Psalm 100 and 172, verse 172 of Psalm 119. 
Uh, and there, uh, the, the, the word righteousness is really important. And this carries all the way across when you're studying the scriptures and looking at uh, and trying to understand some of the things about what Jesus did. Okay, verse 172 says, Let my tongue sing of thy word, for all thy commandments are righteousness. So we know somewhere, somewhere, it's a commandment for Jesus to be baptized. Somewhere. I, where is it? I, I cannot tell you where it is commanded, but from the days of eternity, it was commanded that Jesus Christ would be baptized, and that will fulfill all righteousness. So we accept the Bible for what it says, right? Uh, and it, it clarifies itself. It it continually um, reveals itself, and it helps us to understand the laws of God. So all of God's commandments are to be considered righteousness. Now, after his baptism, and I'm not necessarily going chronologically, but I want to I want to grab this one one thought in Hebrews chapter four. After his baptism, Jesus will be prepared to face the most significant challenge, uh, and maybe we'll say challenges a man, a human could ever face. See, when God sent his son, when, when the son sent himself, when Jesus came, they, they didn't make this a walk in the park. You know, you, you think, you know, if I, you know, I'm, I'm not. But if a human, if we were God, we would never, we would have had other ways of making this work. You know, we would have had some pride issues coming in that wouldn't have been pride because he wouldn't want to sin. But we definitely would not have allowed man to treat us the way that they treated Jesus Christ. If, if we if we scoped out the plan of salvation, it would have been far different, right? I mean, I, if I had scoped it out, you know, I hadn't thought this out, but I'm not going to try and, and think about it. But I would have done this differently. But God... It's amazing, and he's, he, he scoped this out so that Jesus would suffer. So he lived for about 33 years, and, and let's say by the time he reached the age of understanding, let's say about age six, not the age of accountability, but the age of understanding, he, he began to suffer tremendously. And, and I'm going to talk about that in, in just a moment. And he suffered for the rest of his life. But I want to look at Hebrews 4 and, and verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest we have, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. And Jesus suffered. And I'm going to really make, I'm going to hammer that point home a little bit later. But I want you to be thinking about that. That from, from age six, in what way do you think at the age of understanding that Jesus began to suffer? And I'm going to show you, I'm going to show it to you in a simple form. And then you can take it from there. But Jesus was tempted in all things or in all points just as we are. Now, you and I would say, well, wait a minute, did Jesus ever go through this? And, and, and when, you know, so we're looking at the principal teaching, not the specific, right? Um, look at First John for just a moment, chapter 2. We're looking at the principle, and the principle or the umbrella of sin. I mentioned this uh, several times before. The umbrella of sin in the world is threefold. 
and the umbrella of, of righteousness or God is one foot. In other words, it has one leg. The umbrella of sin has three legs. The umbrella of God has one leg, and that's love. Everything God does surrounds itself around love. Everything about God is all about love. Sin has threefold things to it. Three legs. Verse 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world, if the love of the world... Excuse me. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. It is not from the Father, but it is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. So threefold, that is the totality of all the world has to offer as far as sin. Threefold, right? The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Every sin falls under those three points. Okay, now, that's the principle. Now, the specific, turn to James, please. Uh, chapter, chapter 1. The specific is very specific because it's very unique. It's unique to me. In other words, the things that, that I find that I struggle with, you may not struggle with. And the things you struggle with, I may not struggle with. And maybe, maybe if you did a percentage, maybe, maybe, you know, 10% of the world struggles with this and the other 10%. I mean, I don't know the number. I would never even try to figure that number out. But the point of the matter is that temptation is unique because it's my own desires and my own personal lusts. Okay? But the principle is not unique. The principle, a lust is a lust is a lust is a lust. Right? Whether you're dealing with any kind of addiction or you're dealing with, doesn't matter what the lust is. Lust is lust. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh. So you have the physical, you have the mental, the emotional, and then the spiritual, and then you have the, the, the boastful pride of life. So that's, that's all you have. Verse 13 of James chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own Oh, verse 13, 14 now, his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. And so it's the thing that I desire the most may not be what you desire. In fact, I may not be in a in an environment where that particular opportunity is, is present. And so I may not even even consider that idea of lust. But the principle of lust is still the same. The temptation of lust and pride, again, the same principle, but not necessarily the specific. So Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, was tempted in all points. Now, Matthew 4 does not encompass all of the temptations of Jesus, but I want to show you the principle that Matthew 4 carries the principle of temptation, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the bolts of pride of life. Beginning at verse 1. We start with the lust of the flesh. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, um, I'll, I'll get to verse 5 in a moment. So here's the lust of the flesh. Right? 
physical, the craving. You ever, you know, you've, you've gone through hunger, maybe not hunger pains, not the real ones, right? We're Americans, so, you know, hunger pains in the other, in the other parts of the world. Uh, but we have had these cravings for food, right? And so that's a fleshly thing, right? So you go with, you deal with cravings, the desire of feeling or fulfilling the need or desire of the flesh, okay? The next one in verse, and it would have ended up in sin because if he had commanded the stone to become bread, it would have been a sin. He would have fed the flesh. Verse 5, then the devil took him into the holy city and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. Verse 6, and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will give his angels charge concerning you on their hands. They will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So here's pride, right? You can jump off here and it won't even bother you. You'll be fine, right? Uh, show everybody who you are. It's pride, you see. You know, you dig a little bit and you'll begin to, you'll see these things all throughout the scriptures where, well, pride comes in so many different ways, but the devil tempts him to prove who he is and show the world that he's God and uh, the Son, the Messiah. He could throw himself down and, he won't even get hurt, right? That's, you know, let me do that, right? Pride. And then the third one, uh, beginning at verse verse 8, the lust of the eyes. Again, the devil took him to that very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, uh, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So he looks out and sees there's a lust of the eyes, right? And you can join pride in with that as well. You know, and then you can, you can add lust of the flesh in that too. If I, so if I have all these kingdoms and he's going to give it to me, then I'll, oh, and I'll have all the riches and I'll have all, and then you can just go, it just goes, right? You open up, if you want to call it Pandora's box, right, within the world of sin. So there's so much more to that. But in principle, right here in the temptation, uh, in the wilderness with Jesus Christ. Now, as we read and study the the life of Jesus, you'll you'll see so many different uh, temptations that come in his life. But he stays strong. He is, as Hebrews four says, he was tempted in all points and yet without sin. So he's uniquely different from all others. Now let's look at his siblings. Matthew chapter thirteen. His siblings. Everything in the Bible is connected. The joy of reading. The scriptures is if you, I love to give people this challenge. This is a good challenge. It's fun. Um, but you have to read the whole Bible through from Genesis to Revelation to accept this challenge in a year, right? Uh, or six months or whatever, three months, whatever you're going to do it in. Take a theme, whatever interests you, whatever theme or thought you have, and then begin in Genesis and try to find that principle all the way through and you'll see a, you'll see a thread. From Genesis to Revelation, it will connect in pretty much everything you can imagine. It's pretty amazing. Uh, the, the idea, the, the, the concept. Um, Genesis is the beginnings, so you'll find it right there in the beginnings, and then you'll find these links and these connections. I mention that because we're going to look at kind of a connection, if you will. Uh, sibling, sibling rivalry. Did Jesus have sibling rivalry? What do you think? And you kind of go, doesn't really say a lot about his brothers. You know, later on, I get it, they became pretty prominent in the church. Um, but there were some interesting things about his brothers that would tell us that um, there was some sibling 
rivalry and, and pretty pretty intense uh, civil uh, sibling rivalry. And I want to show it to you here. Matthew 13. Let's look at verse 55. Where we, we, we have to do a little bit of inferring, but, we'll, but it, it's there. And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get this teaching? Excuse me, I, I need to go back to verse 55, sorry. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all of these things? So where does Jesus get all this teaching, this, this intelligence, this, why is he, why does he have that? Right? That's the question that's being asked. This is not by his brothers and sisters, but question asked by the council. But now I want you to go to Mark chapter 6. Mark 6. So he has four brothers and few sisters. And at, at that at that point, Mark 6 and verse 3. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary and brothers of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at Jesus, not his brothers. This would be the council, and they're offended at Jesus. But what did his relationship? You, you, you can the relationship with the world is is tough. I don't really I don't really like him too much. Um, what about his brothers? So that's kind of what we look at. I don't know about his sisters necessarily. But I want to go to look at John chapter 7. And then you tell me if there's a relationship account in, uh, in the scriptures. John 7. He grew up with the pressures of life that uh, a child who is, is seemed, seemingly treated special or different. Unique. He was uniquely different from the rest. There's this thing in the world called jealousy. This attitude that comes up. There's a spirit of, of annoyance that the world has toward an individual who lives so righteously, right? Um, so, so imagine they grew up and, um, you know, something happens in the home and the first thing you say is, well, we know Jesus didn't do it. Right? <laughs> I mean, right? So you know it wasn't him. I mean, <laughs> alright, so we were left with the four brothers. Which one of you guys did it? it was, <laughs> right? Uh, so, you know, why is he the perfect one? Well, because he was, right? He didn't sin. Um, he never did anything wrong. And so there's this, there's this automatic, uh, relationship issue. Uh, now, now I want you to think about verse five for a moment. For not even his brothers were believing in him. That's all it says. Now, what do you infer from that? Now, I want you to think about that for just a moment. So, Jesus was doing stuff. And his brothers watched it. And they were like, ah. You know, what did Jesus say? A prophet's not without honor except with his own hometown, right? So, his own family didn't honor him the way they were supposed to. And instead, there's this, there's this issue. Now you're saying, well, are you kind of reading into the text? I'm going to show it to you. I'm not reading into the text. I'm going to show it to you. 
Um, but I want you to think for just a moment as we're going through this. Uh, let's turn to um, Luke chapter 1. The first thought is, his brothers were not believing in him. What does that say about his brother's attitude towards Mary? Mama. Was, was she a bold-faced liar? Now, the Bible tells us she was a righteous woman. So, I mean, she was uh, she was God's choice. She was a right. I know she's grown by at this point in time, but are they calling is mom a liar? Was Joseph a, a were they, they? There's something wrong because if your mother says, "Well, the Holy Spirit came upon me," and is Jesus, and this is how, and he's the Messiah, and he's he's the King, and he's everything the Bible prophesied about. He's the one, and his brothers still won't believe. That tells me there's something wrong. Okay. I want to look at verse 30 of Luke chapter 1. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will, be, uh, he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and he, his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the holy offspring should be called the Son of God. So now, as mom is teaching Bible class, right? And she goes, And now let's talk about God. Well, here's the Son of God. I mean, you know, think about that, right? I mean, it was different. Uh, and so, you know, Jesus, Jesus, you know, you think we hear a lot about Jesus, 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 and watch. Wait, before we do that, go to, go to Hebrews, <laughs> go to Hebrews chapter, chapter uh, eight. Jesus grew up and he had to learn some things and he learned them, uh, starting at home. Verse five. Hebrews chapter 5, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 5, I looked wrong, and verse 8. There we go. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. I'm going to tell you, he suffered some at home. Now, I'm not saying the hand of Mary, but I'm just talking about some sibling rivalry situations that, that obviously occurred in his life. Jesus learned obedience, and he learned obedience through his suffering. Now, remember I said earlier, let me go back to this beginning and then we'll come right back here, that Jesus suffered about mm, around age six when you start gaining that level of understanding. You know, maybe it's eight. I'm not, you know, I'm not putting a number on there. I don't want you to say, well, it wasn't six, it was eight. I mean, I'm just, you know, it was, well, whatever the age is, it doesn't matter. The point that I'm trying to make is at the time that Jesus began to understand some things, I want to show you how tremendously, horribly, horrifically Jesus began to suffer. Okay? It, we, we think about Jesus and we go, well, you know, on the cross. He came, he died for us, praise God. But I'm telling you, Jesus suffered as a young kid all the way up to the cross and all the way through the cross. Let's go take a look at Second Peter. Chapter 2, beginning at verse 7. I'm going to grab a principal thought here. 
He's talking about Lot. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day with their lawless deeds. And the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of punishment. I want you to think about, remember, we'll go to Romans chapter 1, that we've just studied about the Roman Empire and how hideous, how horrible, how wicked they were. And Jesus Christ grew up in that day and in that time when there was nothing but wickedness to the umpth degree. And he had to see wicked people, um, uh, the wicked Romans and the oppression and everything the Bible talks about with these wicked nations destroying and oppressing good people, poor people. Jesus Christ watched them, the Jews, the, the, the Sanhedrin, as they were hypocrites. Twice as much, he says later in Matthew 23, sons of hell. Wicked and evil. They were, they were people that were blind guides and they were the religious leaders of the day. He watched them. And at age 12, he was in their presence, remember? If Lot suffered, how much more do you think God suffered on earth? Well, that's the reason he came and died was because of the sins of the world. In Romans 1, in verse 18, beginning at verse, we're going to go down to verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incredible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So God now is amongst these people. How do you think he felt? How do you, how much do you think he suffered? He suffered tremendously within his ministry while upon the earth. You know, you look around and you hear, uh, you hear lies. You, you, you see the, the Pharisees in the, in the middle of the, of the people, in the midst of the people, and, and they're, and they're the hypocrisy, again, the hypocrisy and the, and the evil and the mistreatment of people and the inhumane treatment of others and just, and he had to watch that. And he even said to his mother at one point, my time has not yet come. And then he knew that these same people, knowing and, and understanding what's in their hearts would be the ones who are going to execute him pretty soon. He grew up knowing this and understanding this. 
And even his brothers wouldn't believe in him. Even though his mother taught them, and they sat down and studied. Was there a rivalry? That's the question we're trying to gain an answer to. And we'll get that answer in just a moment. But first, I want to show you a relationship scripture. Genesis chapter 37. And this is Joseph and his brothers. And you may ask, well, where do you, where do you get the relationship scripture from? And I'll, I'll show you that in just, in just a moment. Or where do I get this idea? Beginning at verse uh, 4. Actually, we'll go back to verse, yeah, we'll start at verse 4. And his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Verse 10. And he related it to his father, his dreams is what it's talking about, to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? Verse 11. And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. So Joseph had this estranged relationship with his brothers because they were jealous of him, because of what God revealed to him. Later, Joseph's brothers wanted Joseph dead. That shows the extent of the civil rival or sibling rivalry, right? Let's look at John chapter 7. And let's begin our reading here at about verse... We're going to go to verse 2, and then we'll, we'll pick up from there. John 7, beginning at verse 2. Now the feast of the Jews, the feast of the booths, was at hand. His brothers therefore said to him, Depart from here and go into Judea, that your disciples also may behold your works, which you are doing. For no one does anything in secret when he himself seeks to be known publicly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers were believing in him. So the question is, when you read that at face value, um, were they just supporting him and saying, you know, come on, Jesus. Um, you know, mom taught us. We've learned this uh, about you. We know, yeah, you're the son of God. Go show yourself. Or was there an, a secret scheme? Let me show you the secret scheme, which helps to, I guess, give us uh, an understanding of that civil uh, sibling rivalry, as you've also found with Joseph. Look at verse 1. After these things, Jesus was walking in Galilee, for he was unwilling to walk in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So Jesus knows they're going to kill him. Everybody knows, you know, at this time that people wanted to kill Jesus. And his brother said, hey, why don't you go up there? Go and show yourself to the world. Brethren, there's so much in the life of Jesus that is is... So amazing, it's not just laid out there, but when you put it all together, you start going, huh, you know, he really had a hard life. So when we start thinking about our lives, and and then, you know, how we're going to retaliate, or we're going to show someone this, or, 
you've got to kind of step back and keep life in perspective. Jesus always kept life in perspective. He always saw the end game. You know, it, it, he could see the forest through the trees. He kept his father as number one in his life. And even though his brothers weren't believing in him and encouraging him to go on out there and die, if you will, Jesus kept his cool, right? He remained godly. He stayed faithful. And here's what's really important. He stayed the course. He was steady. He stayed the course. What he did not do is he did not allow people to influence him in such a way to where it would cause him to walk away from his father. He stayed true to his father, though the world, if you will, had this desire to pull him away. Even though the ones who should have believed in him did not. You might ask, why would I say should have? Well, I mean, if you're going to call everyone around you a liar, I mean, I, you know, what, do you, what, do you, what do you say about that? What do you do with that? After hearing the wisdom of Jesus, you know, in, in, uh, in Luke chapter 2, and he's with the caravan, he's up there teaching, and they're amazed, astonished at his teaching. Can you imagine what he said at home? The kind of conversations they must have had with mom? And the things that he may have pointed out? We don't know what he did at that time, but we know he did something because he's God. And though the world lived in tremendous sin, dishonoring his father, living um, selfishly and wickedly, though the Romans were marching around with their swords and their flags and oppression was, was prevalent, Jesus stayed the course. He didn't pick up the banner and, and go on a, a, you know, a march to, to prove the wickedness of people around him. He didn't he didn't, again, become bitter and angry, flustered. I'm going to say this, because we know this later in his life. In order to stay the course, he did a lot of praying. A lot of praying. John 15. John chapter 15. Now, here's a question that I want to ask of you. Um, when, after we read this scripture, I want to think about Jesus' life at this phase. Verse 24 of John 15. If I have not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sinned. But now they have both seen and hated me and my Father as well. But they have done this in order that the word may be fulfilled that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. How well do you associate, rub shoulders with, stay in communion or fellowship with people that you know hate you? And it's obvious. They've told you. And they don't have a reason to hate you. How well do you stay the course? 
How well do you focus on the scriptures? Jesus says, they hate me, but um, it fulfills the scripture, so that's all right, because that's what God said. And God tells us in, in, this, in John 17, and also in John 15, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. And now we know it says that in the scriptures that the world is going to hate us. But how well do we deal with, with living in a hateful world? How much does it bother you? Does it keep you uh, up at night? Does it, does it make you stray from the course? Falling in love with Jesus. With all of this, this wickedness that was specifically directed at him. And yet, because he loved us so much, for God so loved the world, he stayed the course. He never ventured off the course. Hatred. Our world is full of hatred today. Right? And, and you know, people are shouting this, and, and then, they, you know, someone posts this, and then, and I'm going to retaliate and put this and idolatry and wick. It's just so hard. Brethren, are we staying the course? Are we staying the course? Jesus did. The more that I think about Jesus, the greater my love becomes. As I think about Jesus, the man. See, it's easier. And God knew this. It's easier to relate to Jesus, the man, than it is to relate to Jesus, the God. The only God. The true God. And as we look at the scriptures and think about the way that he lived his life, the way that his brothers treated him, the way the world treated him, the way the brethren, the Jews, treated him, the way the world treated him. And yet, and yet he stayed the course. And he did it. He did it because he loved us so, so very, very much. How much do you love Jesus today? The lesson is yours. We're going to end right here. We'll pick up, Lord willing, next week and continue on this line. I want to get looking forward to getting to this this next section where we're going to talk about his compassion. Right? His mercy. His compassion towards humanity. His mercy and his grace. It's pretty exciting. I hope you'll stay with us. Uh, the lesson is yours. I pray God something was said to encourage you in, in some way and we'll have uh, a Devo uh, and a focus in just a moment. And if we can help you in any way, please contact us. The information is on the board. God bless you and thank you for your time.